Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, Church Planner. It is your Wednesday edition of the Church Planner Podcast with me, your host, Robert Bobby Frazier, and my buddy, Timmy Galley. What's up, man? Timmy Galley? I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called you Timmy in our 10 years of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Don't think so. <laughs> That's it. Oh, man. Can I call you Jimothy? Podcast. Can, is that okay, Jimothy? Jimothy. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not close enough uh, for, for Timmy. <laughs> like, you got to give me like, you got to give me like a kidney or a liver. <laughs> before, before I can call you. Did you, I mean, did your buddies call you Timmy like as a kid? No. no, no, really. Like it's always been like Timothy or Tim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had one friend. Uh, I went to a birthday party once, and like they couldn't read my handwriting, um, and like like they read the card, and it, 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 the person said like, "Does this say Gandhi? Tim Gandhi?" <laughs> Tim so Gandhi. My, my last my nickname was Gandhi for a year. <laughs> Did you like always have to have a peaceful look on your face, and and wear a sackcloth, or like what? <laughs> Absolutely. Everything I said was just wiser than what it really was. Uh, you know, my I have a lot of Tims in my life. And actually, my my mentor through college, and actually, I still meet with him. His name's Tim. So maybe I'm just drawn to Tims. Maybe that's maybe that's my thing. There, there is an attraction of quality to us. I'm in this uh, pastoral cohort uh, with seven guys. Three of us are named Tim. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, like the pastoral epistles are literally named after you. So, I mean, you got that going for you. That's right. All right. But hey, uh, let's. Uh, what What are you doing, man? Did you you've been catching any baseball lately? I have. I have. You know, uh, a wonderful friend invited me uh, uh, to these really great seats that they enjoy at Fenway Park uh, because the Yankees were in town, oh. and it happened to be like on a double header day, which um, so the night before it got rained out, so they put that oh. day that game, you know, for the afternoon slot. My son went to that game. We have these really wonderful friends who took him um, out of school early. Uh, and so he went to that game. It was a beautiful day. The Yankees lost that one. But I went to the evening game uh, where the Yankees won. 
And I saw pretty much the highlight of the entire season when Aaron Judge hit a grand slam over center field wall. It's pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. I haven't so, watched baseball since. Yeah, just just walk me through. Like, what's the likelihood that the Yankees make make the playoffs? They're six and a half games out with uh, what five games to go. Yeah, I have I have no doubt that they're going to make it next year. <laughs> next year, next, year. next year's the year. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Yeah. I mean the the only the only solace I have as a Red Sox fan is that the Yankees are still not going to make the playoffs. And that that brings some real some real joy to me. They're only a game out from each other and both are going to miss it by at least a couple games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just a waste of season on, on, on all accounts. Mm-hmm. Um but you know like Sports Talk Radio on the baseball side is a buzz with rumors of Shohei Otani being interested in the Red Sox. What do you think of that? I, I hear he was waiting for Heim Bloom to get fired. Is that, oh, is that what happened? <laughs> I mean, I, I got to say, that's I'm more excited about Bloom being fired than I am about the prospect of Otani playing for the Red Sox. No. Yeah. I mean, he has he has mis, mismanaged. Lots, lots and lots of parts of the Red Sox baseball operations over the last decade. And I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for, for new blood for sure. Yeah, I think your your ownership sabotaged him, but that's fine. That's fine. If you need us, you know. Oh, a... is this like an anti-Semitic thing? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> what? <laughs> that's weird, man. not an anti-Semitic thing. <laughs> that's no. Uh, no, I um. For, Obviously, I don't want Shohei to go to the Red Sox, but just from a a baseball history perspective, I mean, just imagine that they get the second coming of Babe Ruth again, uh-huh. and, and and they play against like the second coming of like you know maybe Roger Maris in Aaron. I mean, I mean, I I think you could you can make some cases for a lot of murderers row looking like Aaron Judge. Sure, sure, maybe, and and they're gonna play what. 15, 20 games against each other every year for the next 10 years. I mean, yeah. I, I like that prospect for sure. And I have to wonder what Shohei, because like, I think, I think Shohei is a uh, historian in baseball. Um, mm-hmm. it's some of that stuff, like how he got kind of nerds out on that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be in his mind somewhere that if I signed with the Red Sox, I'm, I, I kind of rewrite history. It also mm-hmm. has to be on his mind somewhere that like, if I go to the Yankees, I am the next Babe Ruth, uh, which I'm sure he doesn't go around saying that about himself, but there's no way that he's ever missed out on that. You know, that... I mean, the narrative is too clear and he 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 knows how historic his numbers yeah. are. Like, yeah. there's no way to get away from that if you're living it day in, day out, because those guys, they live by numbers. Those guys live by numbers. Here's like how probable do you, th- you go, ahead, go ahead. Would I love to see it? Yeah. Do I? do I worry about a guy with a UCL tear coming in at, you know, we're talking 450, $500 million over a 11 or 12 year contract that stretches into his early forties like that, like from, from a value perspective, I think that's going to be tough, but I think that whoever has him at the end of his career is going to sell out a lot of games. Right. Like that's like, that's the play, right? That's, that's all the, the Yankees play is not so much. We have to win all the time. It's, when guys are breaking records, they're going to do it in pinstripes and we're going to sell the tickets and, you know, those historic moments. So like from a business perspective, I think, I think you could get there, but I think he's going to do more with his bat than he is with his arm after a UCL tear. 
I think that Japanese players are like drawn to Boston. Like they like playing in Boston, especially the pitchers. It seems like they, they have some, some affinity to Boston historically. And they're, they're people who love history, like Japanese people, like they think about history. I, I think that's okay to say, right? We can, we can say, yeah, I don't know. It's bordering. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right on the edge. No, I just think, I think that they're, they're like an ancient civilization that thinks about their place in the world differently than Americans do. I just, I think that they think that way. Um, yeah. so I, I could see that, but like, yeah. I, and I think it would take a different Red Sox ownership group than what is there now to overpay by a hundred million dollars for a player. That's tough. Sure, That's sure. tough to see. But on, on the UCL thing, like, like, I, I think I got a UCL issue. It's not holding me back. <laughs> it's not keeping you from writing sermons. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Getting meetings, launching new initiatives, podcasts. I bet you can't sending, sending fiery emails to yourself because you're not allowed to actually send them to people in your church. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, do you want to save this draft? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even put their name in the email, like two line, because I was too afraid. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> never, never, never. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I, I like the smack talk here. I, I think we should move really quickly on this one and, and save the future smack talk for future episodes. I think we always got smack talk. So, yeah, let's jump in, man. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. We're, we're so, we need we need to get some uh, sound, like, effect. Uh, sound effect audio clips going. I did get my uh, my old um, ATEM mini video board back. So I'm thinking I might be able to do some some more elaborate video work around here. We'll see what happens. Very exciting. Very yeah. exciting. All right. Well, what are we talking about this week, Tim? Well, we want to continue in our series of launching a new church from scratch. And I'm here with the the one and only Robert Frazier. I'm going to be firing away as many questions as I can at him. Uh, our last uh, Wednesday episode, when we talked about this, we talked about fundraising and how that does not have to be a nightmare. And, and the where we want to begin this conversation is about leadership teams. So let's let's say money's not an issue. Uh, what what about the the people capital? Uh, how do we how do we start thinking about leadership teams? So I'm going to ask you, Robert, a bunch of questions about how to form a team, uh, what to consider, and then when you start getting this team, you know, populated slowly, like like what what are the things that you had in mind? So uh, we'll get to all that. Yeah. Well, what you just said is an interesting, a really good way to kind of start the dreaming of a church plant is to ask if money's not an issue. What what would I like to be a part of? What would I like to see happen? It's that it's the the idea of blue sky thinking, and I, I think too often um, church planners start with like pretty modest dreams. They in the back of their head they they basically have this, you know, some sort of uber successful version of a small dream that they have, but like their dream is I want to go to a place and I want to see a community, you know, grow up and like. Like there's there's some, there's some beauty to that modesty of I want to teach people the way of Jesus and see a community grow around it. Like there's something about that that's beautiful. But I also think that too often as church planners we go into it going, if I had X number of dollars, then boy, I wonder how easy I could make it to do this thing right and how big we could go. Like all those all yeah. those sort of limiting factors. So I, I really like the idea of like let's start with you've got all the money taken care of. How do how do you do it? How, how how would you do what you want if you had all the resource in the world? So, yeah, 
Yeah, let's dive in, man. Let's roll. All right. Sounds good. All right. So let's just use you for an example. Um, there you were having coffee with me in Starbucks in Boston, uh, not telling me uh, about your your dreams at church plant back in Boise. <laughs> I told you as soon as I could. <laughs> my, my, my version of the story sounds a lot more interesting than your version of the story. <laughs> I, mean, I was like packing up a U-Haul. I had no idea why. <laughs> Where are you moving to? <laughs> you were moving to, to Wellesley. Um, anyway. That's far enough west. That's, that's further than 95. That's further than most people should go. <laughs> For those who don't know, Wellesley's like five miles away from where he was, uh, give or take. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when when you started thinking about moving out to Boise and you started thinking about like, who who am I going to plant this church with? Like, where did you even start with that? Well, the the two questions that every church planner should ask is, who is God sending me to? Which is yeah. this kind of an open dream to say, God, uh, and really, I, I think this is as biblical as you can get, just like Paul had this vision of the Macedonian man in his dream, you should be praying that God puts people people's faces in front of you and gives you a sense of who he's calling you to. Because actually, God does not call us to places. Places oh. only matter because people are there. So he calls you to a people, not a neighborhood not a section of a city, not to a city even, but he calls you to a people because a city is a people. It is the people themselves. And so when you're considering where to go, I think that's that's a really important first question is who are you called to? But some of you are not going to have a clear sense of who you're called to. But there's a second question that can actually help clarify it. And that's the, this is the second question. Who am I called to go with? Like who are the people that I want to and join and join me in this mission, this calling that I have, who's somebody that I want to be shoulder to shoulder with, who's passionate and capable and wants to, wants to get out and do this thing with me. Um, and, and when you ask those two questions kind of together, a lot of times what you'll find out is that God has called you and some important people in your life together to a people and that that's where kind of the magic happens. Um, for me, I started by praying, that God would give me a sense of where to go. We were pretty open. Uh, what we told God when we were praying about church planting were, we're happy to go anywhere. We're happy to stay in the Boston metro area and plant another church or a campus. We're happy to go around the world to, you know, Europe, Asia, Africa. We were, we were like very open because we, we knew that God had a place for us. And then we basically said, and this was probably foolish, but we said anywhere but south of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> like that's that is that is the the line that we would not cross because I I don't think I'd do well in a Bible Belt culture. I just that, that's you know, your Nineveh. That is my Nineveh, and thankfully God did not want me to go to my Nineveh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's different stories. He doesn't send you to Nineveh every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. There's there's a lot of guys that didn't go to Nineveh. Um, and so, so for us, it was like, okay, we're going to start praying. And we invited, um, three of our friends to join us in that prayer. Uh, three couples who were the, the dearest people that we love the most in the world that it was like, yeah, we're going to ask those people to join us in this thing. And, uh, one of them had been a college student who was 
who was an intern with me when we were missionaries to teenagers and he and his wife were dear friends and we reached out to them and we asked them to pray alongside of us in a zoom gathering and they were living in Portland at the time. And then there was another um, woman who had worked as a nurse with Malia and we had led a Bible study at the hospital with like families from like the medical community together. And she and her husband were living in Portland, Oregon. And we asked them to pray with us about the future and about what God was doing. And then my best friend from college, actually from junior high, middle school, high school, college, and his wife, who was one of my childhood best friends, um, we we asked them if they'd pray with us. And actually, it was, there was a fourth couple. Um, one, there was a gal who went to nursing school with Malia, and they were a part of our first campus ministry. And we, we would, we'd all share our lives together. So those four couples, we reached out to and we said, we don't know where we're going to go. But we ask you to pray that God would help us see and that you'd pray that God would, if God might send you along with us. Mm. And they all said, sure. And we started praying together. We had Zoom gatherings on, uh, this was actually pre-Zoom. I think this was Skype. Like we were using Skype in 2016, 2015, whenever that was. Um, And we, as we started to pray, what, what, what Malia and I soon realized is that every person that we prayed for that was far from God were people that we loved who lived in Boise. Like we just had this burden and passion for the people of, of a city at that point. It wasn't a hub of church planting. It wasn't a a destination um, for people to belong to. And it wasn't, it wasn't cool. It wasn't on anybody's top 10 list at that moment. And for us, it was just, we love those people. And if we were going to invest the next 10 or 20 years of our lives, we wanted to be in a place where we cared about the people more than we cared about the place. And it's, it's somewhat humbling to go back home. Like there's something about like going back to your hometown that, you know, I, I drive past places where I've done deeply shameful things all day, every day in the same neighborhood I live in. Um, So like, there's something about being back home where, you know, people know you, which is good and bad. Like, it's not just, it's not just good. Um, But that, that was what God really made clear is that when we prayed the, the faces of people we cared about in Boise were, um, were clearly who we were called to. And the second part. Yeah. um, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. the, The second part was we asked those people, would you join us? And all of them said, yes. Um, two of them moved from Portland, Oregon to Boise to join us in the mission because they believed in what God was doing. And it was a big part of their journeys of faith and walking with God and even coming back to a faith that was alive and active. And we thought that that was an important part of what we were doing. That's amazing. They moved from Portland. So you, you have this, uh, this rock star team assembling. I, I picture this like Avengers. Um, Avengers assemble uh and and now like you go from like zero to 60 super fast right uh you know i i think that a lot of a lot of church planners kind of start and they they assume that once they've got money and people it's just like go time um it isn't but, <laughs> uh yeah I, I could see that that smile uh no it's it's not quite go time um actually i'm gonna change my camera because i think it's it's kind of glitching was that kind of glitching for you before um no i didn't notice all right um yes so 
we we had this team assembled and when we moved back to Boise in August of 2016 um we show up on the ground and we had our very first meeting it was on the back porch of my friend Jesse's house and uh while we were out there we basically like set up his window as like a whiteboard and just started dreaming together about what God could do and who, who we cared about and kind of the mission fields God had called us to and there was, I think, 12 at that point, 12 or 14 of us around around the circle. And I, what I proposed them was let's move slow and let's really focus in on the important stuff, which to me was I want everybody to know how to teach people the way of Jesus. And I really wanted to be clear about where we're going and why we're going there. And so we spent a lot of time, like maybe once or twice a month for that whole first year, just sitting and and praying and dreaming together about what God was doing. A little bit of training, a little bit of like equipping, a little bit of language and culture and things I had been cooking up. But I really wanted it to be something that we crafted together rather than something that I kind of brought to the group as like this fully formed idea. Part, here's the deal. When you, if you come, there, there was what church plan. I think I've told you about him. He showed up with like a 50 page document about how he was going to plant his church. And he had like four years of like staff. Um, it was like a staff flow chart for four years from now when he didn't even have a staff team yet. Uh that that sort of planning actually really cuts down on people's ownership of the mission. Like if you come in real hot with here's how I'm going to do everything, you should either get on board or you should, you know, pack your bags. What happens is everyone around you is there to serve you and be a friend on mission, but they're not really family because they don't own what's happening. They don't actually feel like they were a part of the creation. And so what you really want to do is invite people in early to be a part of that. And you need people who are different than you. And this is really what I what I want to focus on today is when you're when you're grabbing that launch team around you, you want to make sure there's people that number one, like you give them the right to tell you when you're being dumb. Mm. And this this feels so counterintuitive because we're all so insecure. But what what can happen real early is that you become the guy with the ideas and the energy. And you're the one who's working full time at it and no one wants to stop you. And so you just kind of go hog wild and no one has authority over you. And what happens is if no one can question you, then they actually don't feel like they belong there. If if no one can ask a question and, you know, if you're, you, you'll get defensive because you've been thinking about it and you've got all the answers and like you thought you communicated it just clearly enough for them to understand it. And then they they come back and go. Um, here's the thing. I actually don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> and, and if your answer is, well, then get the hell out of here. Like that's, that, that's a problem because they're right. actually, they're communicating to you that you haven't done your work yet. Yeah. And you need people around you who have like a backbone. Somebody who will tell you you're full of nonsense. Um, and so that's why I asked some of my best friends is because I knew that they'd call me on my BS. I, I need that. Cause I'm, I'm full of BS. I will, I will talk my way through anything. I need people who will see through it and go, are you sure about that? Um, you need people who have different gifts than you. Uh, and mostly because nobody has, we, we look at Ephesians four, we've all talked about Ephesians four. Uh, when, when God gives the gifts to the church, he gives these five gifts and it's the, the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, these people that God has entrusted to the church to have a particular role in the church. And what you really want, ultimately, as you follow Jesus, is all those things are going to come alive in you, and all those things will grow as you as you are filled with the Spirit. And Jesus was the ultimate of all five of those. But you're not. You may you may be kind of like 
halfway there on one of them or maybe two, or maybe you're a three tool all-star and everyone's super excited to have you on a team. We're going to try to develop the fourth and fifth tool. Um, I always think about that money ball scene when, when they're sitting at the table with Chris Pratt and they're talking about, you know, or with actually Billy Bean. Um, anyways, all that to say, you, you really want, you really want some people around you who look different than you, sound different than you. And you're probably got apostolic gifts or you have some apostle teacher or an apostle evangelist, but you have this energy for new initiatives and you feel like going and you feel the call to mission. That's the apostle role. Um, And if you're a, if you're building a team, you want to go, actually, I need as annoying as it is, I really need prophets around me. I need people who are going to remind me of what God says and remind me Mm -hmm. to listen to God and have a deep prayer life that focuses on hearing God's voice and questions the sanity of my decisions. They're going to be a hard person in my life, but I need them around me. And I need an evangelist who's always asking, well, what about the lost people? And what about the people who are on the fringes? And what about the people who aren't here yet? And what about my neighbor? And what, and they're always asking, how do we get more people around the table? They're the, the inviters who are going to fill up the room with people that they love. Um, you need those shepherds and I'm not a shepherd. Like that's, I can, I can play a shepherd because I've got some of that, you know, tools that I've built up. That's not my primary goal is to make sure we're taking care of people and we're feeding people and making sure they can have everything they need. And so I can run a little too fast and people can get left behind. So I need shepherds around me who are really focused on that. And lastly, you need teachers. And I would say the teacher may be the least important role at the beginning of a church plant, but by year three, they're the most important role you need to bring in because they need somebody who's going to train and equip people. And I'm not a trainer equipper. I'm growing in that. I feel like I'm focused, like I'm a good preacher, but not a good teacher. And so you need somebody who's really good at training people who loves sitting around thinking about how to communicate something clearly and how to simplify ideas so everybody can grab hold of it. Um, so you, you really need all five on that team. So you're looking for people who look different than you. Sorry, I've just been, I'm on a roll, man. You just, I, you love it. I love it. Oh, I, I asked, I asked. Um, all right, I'm going to work my way back up. Okay. Okay. So love what we're saying about the APEST uh, team makeup. And I think we should spend a whole episode on that. Yeah, let's fo- let follow up with that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so let, let's, let's bracket that for now. Uh I, I guess I, I'm very moved by this idea that there's people in your life that can just speak the truth to you. And yeah, they, they tend to be the people who have known you X amount of years. They, 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 they know what your BO smells like. They, they, they've seen you at your worst. Thankfully, they've also seen you at your best. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe they went to your wedding, for goodness sakes. Like, like they, they know you. and, and you they, know they root for you. And they're also like, they will be a critic for you. You want both. Yeah, for you. Yeah, absolutely. So in in every family that I know, there's an element of family dysfunction. Yeah. And it, it seems to me that most church plants have some type of a of a family structure. Uh, how do you pastor that and live in that in, a, in an authentic way where the dysfunction doesn't take over uh, the mission of it? Mm-hmm. Well, uh one of my dear friends, Bob Hyatt, he is an elder at my church and he's got this phrase. There's a, there's a ditch on the side on both sides of every road. And I think when, when you think about structures and ways that you construct kind of the leadership and the vision and direction of a church plant, there's a ditch on both sides of that road. You've got the Mars Hill um, authoritarian ditch 
where the church planter has to have complete control. And that's why he chose to plant his church, that he he has a vision that's so clear that everyone must submit themselves to the vision and the clarity of his vision, or they don't belong. Yeah. That can be that can be a real problem. Um, and what you'll find out is that people leave really quickly from those teams at the beginning because they're going to realize they don't fit there. They're yeah. going to realize that like they don't like that style of leadership. And people who are coming in, what you'll find in church planting is that people show up because they they want to get control. And you can you can have easier control when it's a smaller group. And so people step into church plants to to try to take their pet theological project or to you know, find a place to have significant leadership. And some of that's healthy and good. And those are beautiful people you want on your team. And some of them are super dysfunctional and you're trying to like keep them away from the center of what you're doing. And so an authoritarian leader is going to come in and just be really clear about who's in and who's out and who's who's on the bus, who's off the bus and who's getting run over by the bus as right. as our friend Mark Driscoll liked, liked to say. Now on the other side of that road is a equally perilous ditch. And that is the ditch of communism (laughs) of not an oligarchical sort of communism, but um, the type of a commune where everyone has equal voice and no one leads and teachers voice and nobody leads. Okay. Voice and no one leads. And what you'll see in these church plants is that you tend to have a, a leader who's an evangelist or who's a pastor. And they're always asking, how can they care for the people around them, whether they're lost or a part of the family of God? And the answer to the question is always, we should do that. We should do whatever people want us to do. And so they become people pleasers in the worst kind of way, both for people inside the church and outside the church. And what you'll find is that those leaders are always asking people around them what they should do. And then they do it because they assume that's God's voice. And what happens a lot of times is those people lose control or have a very strong voice around them that whispers in their ear and tells them what to do. And they become a puppet for a strong leader. And that could be a good person or a bad person, but you actually, the leader themselves don't own the vision. They are, they're looking around hoping that the vision will find them. And what every church needs, we say in our, in our discipleship culture, that if you want to see a healthy community, that family on mission, it starts with spiritual parents, which are people who have a position of authority that's derived not from their position, but from their character. People follow them because they love them and they trust them and they believe that they're doing what is best. And spiritual parents aren't authoritarian. A healthy spiritual parent is somebody who loves and cares. And as their as their spiritual children grow up, like in my family, as you grew up, you got to have a say in the family. That's what healthy families do. When you become a teenager or an adult, the adults around you actually are a part of the the wise elder culture around you. And so healthy families have that sort of a dynamic, that spiritual parent, but it's a spiritual extended family. So it's spiritual parents and aunts and uncles and a shared leadership of those who have, have the character to lead. Next piece is you have spiritual parents and then you have predictable patterns that that clarity about what you do and what it looks like and people know what to expect when they show up. That liturgy of engagement, whether that's the weekly gathering or um, your micro church gathering or your missional community, however you want to structure that. And then the last piece is a missional purpose. And so really, if you don't have that spiritual parent piece, 
what you have is either an authoritarian dictator or you have this nothing leadership that doesn't have a center to it. So it's really important that you kind of have, have those pieces in place. Um, and what you want with a team is you want spiritual family, but you want parents and you want aunts and uncles, those elders who are walking alongside of you, who don't have direct authority as the parents, but they have indirect authority because of their place in the family. They're trusted voices and leaders, and they're dearly beloved brothers and sisters of the spiritual parents who are trusted to care for the people alongside of them. I love that. And I don't think I've ever uh, understood the spiritual parenting in a church planting uh, leadership context before. So I, I really appreciate that. So did you did you know that going in? Or is this something that like, like you, we've started with these five couples and... We're slowly moving, which, by the way, I really like the like the, the slow movement of it. Um, and, and as we're slowly moving, we we realize that we have these gaps of of like the wisdom from these spiritual parents. So we're we're praying for them. We're seeking them out. Like, like how are they showing up? Oh, that's a great question, because you you actually don't have much control over who God brings along with you. Mm -hmm. Um you have some control over where you put yourself and um, where you are and how you exist in like spaces. And this is, I think, maybe a more important question is how do you attract the kind of leaders who can participate and help you? Because if you are a really strong leader that doesn't have room for other people to lead, other strong leaders won't get near you because they'll know that they'll never have a place. If you're an insecure leader, what you'll see is strong leaders won't come to you. Because if you're insecure, you're going to push them away if they show if they show their gifting and it is something that you're not good at. As an insecure leader, you're going to push them away because it's a threat to your leadership. You're afraid that people are going to see that in them and call them forward and you're going to lose your position. And so I think instinctively I knew that principle that I had I had to be secure. It couldn't be about me and it couldn't be about um me getting my way. It had to be something that was healthy. Um, and then I wanted strong leaders around me because I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to plant a church that would grow big. I was trying to raise up leaders who would live as missionaries. And that requires me to find people who are farther along in the journey that I can train up and equip who will, who will be able to lead as well. And when you're looking for leaders, what you see inside of people is different things. If I'm looking at you and looking to see what's wrong with you, I'm going to find what's wrong with you. And I'm always going to think that person doesn't have what it takes to lead because they have this problem in them. But if I'm looking to find leaders, I see lots of potential in people that can be grown up in them. And then I'm going to trust them, trusting that God is going to bring them along in that journey. And I think that that's the posture you want as a church planner is to see people for who they are, be realistic about the good and the bad of them, but also see that they are not a finished product, that there's growth that's going to happen. They're going to become something that you're you're not expecting. Over the next 10 years, they could become someone who could lead a community of faith, or they could devolve into something, someone who doesn't belong in your community. But if you see the potential, you're actually going to call that to life inside of them. And that's, that's why I think you need to have that soft eyes towards people when you're planting to say, um, even an unhealthy prophet who is probably really destructive to the community around them, they have latent potential to be an important part of the church if you can help them grow, if you can help them get healthy in their spiritual life and connect with the Father. 
And that's what you want to invite people into rather than saying they're unhealthy. They're not useful to me right now. And so I'm going to push them to the side. I'd like to call people out and say, I think there's something in you and I want to see it come to life, but you've got to deal with these character issues first. Let me help you find a way to grow up into what God's called you to. Because people respond to that much better than you're a problem and I I can't trust you. So you got to get out of here. There's whole there's these whole levels of, you know, you got that 312, 72. That 72 is going to be full of people with lots of potential that haven't yet kind of found out how to do it. And you want to keep them close enough that they can still be invited in and can still see how they could grow into that faith journey of the disciples. Because lots of times we push people in that second tier out, that 72, and we say, there's no place for you unless you're useful to me. And those people walk away and miss out on what God's going to do through them. So, so that I've seen in, in various church contexts where, where where you have somebody potentially who kind of comes in a little too hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, your first impression of them is, is not the most positive, positive one. And somehow like they stick around and, and then, you know, there's a, there's a moment that you share uh, that usually has them saying something to the effect of, Hey, I really believe in what you're doing. Um, like in my context, like that person approaches and says, Hey, I really want to be, you know, a life group leader. And there's a little bit of you that like, Oh, I don't know how close I want you to get to this. Um, yeah. The way that we started, wasn't really on the best of best of footings. And to fast forward to this, to what I've re- learned over the years, um, you know, so, sometimes people just like need, need to figure out the culture uh-huh. and they, they, they need a touch of, of ministry and sometimes they just need the benefit of the doubt and often many times like once they start getting into the thing and once they start growing in the way of jesus more I mean, i'm sure they were already on on the journey itself but once they start doing that more often like the, the spirit of transformation takes over uh-huh and they become one of the one of the most indispensable essential servants that you have uh that you're working alongside the kingdom of god with um, yeah First planting context. I've seen that in my own context, and and I never I never say this because like it's just it's just not a fun thing to say in in most contexts. But like like I sometimes see a person like this. I'm like, man, my first impression of this person was so not this. Uh-huh. Well, and and I think that's that's probably a really important perspective to have on everybody is when you first meet somebody, that's not them. Like that's, that's them actually trying to find a way to belong in a space and to be trusted. And when you give away, this is, this is the piece that's really hard because it's really dangerous. But if you give away trust and people feel safe, you get to see the best versions of them. As soon as they don't feel safe and as soon as they don't feel trusted, that's when they actually flail around and 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 really become destructive forces because they feel like they need to be understood and they feel like they ought to be trusted for the time that they were there and you really the more you give it away the more you receive of it the more trust you give the more trust you get the more faith you give the more faith you get and i think what you're describing is someone comes in and you give them time to show who they really are that that deep character and then i'm almost almost always deeply surprised by how that comes out right oh absolutely i i mean i, I feel like you were mentioning that when you're talking about the potential uh that, that, that people often have when they enter into a space um and i also just think it, this is this just feels very um i don't know th- this feels very timely for me 
a lot of people that I'm meeting in a church context, and maybe yourself, they're probably coming out of a very bad former church context. Uh, so, so they're on edge when they see a wounded pastor. animals, man. Yeah. yeah, they're on edge when they see me. They're probably on edge when they see you. Um, you know, I, I consider myself to be a pretty unique, different type of guy. But like, I'm sure when you walk into the building and you see me holding a microphone and and giving the same types of announcements that they give at other places, ah, another one triggered. of these yep. guys. <laughs> another one of these guys. Um, and so, like, I, I do try to have as much understanding for that. Uh, that if they're coming here, they're probably they may be coming from someplace else, and that may be uh, that may be a tough situation. Well, and you can speak to that because inevitably a church plant's going to be filled with people who walked away from a former church that they're unhappy with. Absolutely, and there's going to be some who were de- like probably half of our church had not gone to church for the two years prior to joining Redemption Hill. Like a lot were de-churched and had given up on finding a healthy community. And we became kind of an entree back into the faith. And I I think that's our that's our role to play. And I think we're seeing people kind of come to life in that. Um, but what you're going to find is that people are going to come in with all sorts of stories. And if you say to them, listen, I, I know that you're struggling and I, I probably have some idea of why you're struggling right now. Yeah. But I want to give you freedom to be here. And to be known and loved without expectation of you serving and giving immediately. Like this is a place for you. Even like we've had a few people who have left ministry and kind of stepped into church with us and they're in between. And we tell them, be here as long as you need us and we're going to serve you. And then when God calls you to the next thing, it's okay to go and not feel bad about it. Because that gives them a, a safety to belong without worry, worrying about, am I going to disappoint these people later? And then you can also tell them when you're ready, you have to tell me. I'm I'm probably gonna have a sense, but I'm I'm gonna reach out. But you're gonna have to tell me I'm ready to step back in, and I, I feel safe now, and I want to be a part of helping you kind of rediscover what it looks like to be a part of community. And if you speak to it, then it gives them freedom to go. Oh, this is a safe place. And then it, it actually, I think, it speeds up that process quite a bit when you speak to it. That's good. All right, hey, I, I feel like we're uh, we're rounding the corner here to the finish line. Yep. Uh, any any more unsolicited or solicited advice um, <laughs> you give to a church planter on forming a leadership team here? Yeah, I actually I've got three church planters who are planting over the next two weeks here in Boise that I've been working with with our city network, and it's been really cool watching their stories unfold over the last couple of years. Um, and one of them had his launch last Sunday, Jesse, my buddy, um, at North State Church. You can go look him up. They did an incredible job. They had their launch last Sunday. It was like, I think, one of our probably most successful kind of launch phases. And he had he had a really rocky journey. So I'm really proud of what he did um, and had a great Sunday. And I texted him, asked him how it felt. I, I prayed for him all week. And I, I'm like, here's a little bit of unsolicited advice for you as you're kind of thinking about what's next. And and what's happening. My first words were go slow when yeah. you're in, when you're in the, um, the launch phase is a sprint. Cause you got to get to opening Sunday and make sure you got all the equipment and the people and all that. But then it literally goes from a sprint into a marathon. That's going to be this ongoing work of every week. I've got to show up and I've got to have enough for what God's called me to. And so move slowly at first, especially that first year, you're going to be tempted to try to do everything. You'll be tempted to add a new ministry every week. And you got to like say, no, we're going to focus on the things in front of us. Um, Focus on the people and don't sweat the little stuff that's going to go wrong. 
because you're going to burn out your people. If, if Sundays have to go perfectly, you're going to kill your people because they're always going to feel like failures because small church and new church is full of broken stuff and broken people. And it's not going to go great. And if you care for the people, they'll stick around. If you care about the show and the service, they're going to walk away because it's going to be about you and your thing. Um, yeah, I got more, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. Maybe next week we can kind of like lean into the list again and keep going. Does that sound good? I love that. And I'm sure some of those things are going to show up like in the apist uh, model as well. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Oh, that's so. great. All right. You want to, you want to get us out of here? Oh man. Like the, the, the pressure. Oh, no, I'll, I'll do it. You got yeah. it. I, no, I, I got wanna, it. I got it. I've been, I've been you wrote it. You wrote it down, didn't you? <laughs> I, got, I got a tattoo like right, like right here. If you want, <laughs> you, well, you flip it up like a like a QB. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Omaha, Omaha. Hey, friends! Thanks for listening to the Church Planner Podcast. Now, remember, if you want to reach the people that no one else is reaching, you got to go where no one else is going. And you got to do what no one else is doing. All right. Well, I think, do we need to update that for like the Wednesday edition? Like add something else to make it a little better than Monday? Like, like the motto? Like like add like a flip Yeah, flip. Like, like add, if you want to go where no one else is going, you got to do what no, no one like, else is yeah. doing. And you like, got to like say no the phrases that no one else has said, you know, like just, we just keep going. To, and you, no, you, have totally to, you have to add people to your team like no one else is adding people to your team. Oh man, we could totally do this. Okay, we're gonna we're just gonna keep adding on every week. It's gonna be a new phrase. Yeah, All right. Nice. See you later, friends. Take care. See you, friends. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This episode was brought to you by Church Web Builder. If you've been meaning to scrap your terrible WordPress church website or you just need to actually sit down and make your church plants website, let this be assigned to you. With Church Web Builder's library of church-specific templates and integrations, and the included all-in-one marketing and communication platform, a beautiful new website is literally sitting there waiting for you to take it. Go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER at checkout. You'll get 50% off your first year. Yes, five zero. 50% off your entire first year. Again, go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER. For more from the Church Planter Podcast, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Church Planter Podcast and on Twitter at CPlanterMag. We'd love to connect. See you next time.